Okay, so let's, uh, let's get started. Uh, man, this is, uh, we've been talking a lot about the Holy Spirit, um, and last week we kind of took a little, little bit of a break uh, from that discussion, and then the week before that, uh, Mark Clark uh, taught, which I heard was really, really, really great. He taught uh, John 15 uh, on abiding, and uh, so I'm, I'm excited to hear that. Uh, that is, uh, and actually, uh, Becky will be teaching that in discipleship school coming up. Just a, a great topic to learn that the work of the believer is to abide. So I'm glad he got to share that. Um, and uh, so today we're going to get back on track a little bit uh, with the Holy Spirit. I, I've been uh, hearing a lot uh, of you guys talk about prayer. Uh, I think a lot of this has to do with uh, some of this post-Life uh, Action Summit uh, deal, and, and we've really uh, been stirred to prayer, which is good, uh, because you know, you know that when God begins to uh, awaken His people to pray, that things, are, uh, that things are happening, that God is on the move, uh, that He is doing things, not just uh, personally, which He is, but that He's doing things uh, amongst us corporately. And so when, uh, I, I was actually shared even at the wedding last night, that when you see prayer, uh, moves of prayer and moves of worship, get ready, because God is uh, God is absolutely on the move uh, in a major way. And so we're seeing that uh, happen. We've been seeing that for the last few years. Uh, but coming out of Summit, just have heard a lot of you talk about, uh, a lot of you talk about prayer. Um, and so I wanted to address prayer. And really, um, this is, this is uh, going to be fun for me because this is what I'm really, Lindsay and I, uh, are wrestling with with the Lord uh, right now, even just in our... Um, in our home, is, is asking the Lord to continue to teach us uh, to pray. So uh, a lot of what I'm going to share with you this morning has just come as, uh, as we've wrestled through some of this. And um, is, isn't prayer one of those things that you always come back to and you always uh, kind of look at your prayer life and it never seems to really measure up, does it? Anybody ever had that happen where you, uh, you, you kind of enter into these seasons, these moments where you examine your prayer life and you go, man, it's just not where it should be, right? Anybody ever have that? Yeah? You guys can, uh, can nod or raise your hand or acknowledge with a smile, maybe even let your eyes twinkle or something, I don't know, whatever you want to do to acknowledge that I'm speaking to you and you're hearing me. Uh, but yeah, so this, we, were in this, we were in this very same, very same spot of looking at our prayer life and going, man, it's just, it's just not where it needs to be. God, we want to have a greater measure uh, of prayer uh, we want to walk deeper with you in prayer. We want to see, you know, prayer really uh, be what it's supposed to be uh, in our lives. And through that, uh, the Lord has brought us on a journey. And I, I, I realized, man, that moment of looking at your prayer life and, and going, it's just not where it needs to be. I realized that's probably a moment that many of us have. And we probably have it uh, pretty regularly. If you track those moments, probably once a year at least, you go, man, just not where I should be. And that, that seems to be where we, do you ever look at your prayer life and go, all right, right on track. Anybody ever done that? No? Okay, so you guys are all like us. Uh, you know, you look, at your, you look at your prayer life, and it's rare that you go, man, God, I'm so glad that this is exactly where it needs to be. That doesn't seem to be the way that it happens. But the problem is that when we look at our prayer life and we continually come to this uh, conclusion that it's not where it should be, most of the time we begin to make assumptions about our discipline, Right? Anybody ever done that? My prayer life's not where it should be, so my alarm clock's going to be set a little earlier, right? My prayer life's not where it should be, so I need to redo my schedule. I need to, uh, you know, shift this and shift this to where, 
uh, I have adequate time to pray, and then I need to figure out how to better do Bible study and better, you know, do this. And then, you know, we, we come up with this list of things that we believe are going to cure our prayer life. Um, and but it's funny because we always end up back at the same uh, evaluation of our prayer life and say, "No, but it's still not where it should be." So what happened? Did you not get up early enough? Did you not study enough? Did you not? arrange your schedule enough? Did we not do the right things that our prayer life would increase? I think we do, and maybe it happens for a season, but we kind of get this idea that our prayer life has increased, and it's simply uh, because our schedule has changed, not really because our prayer life has deepened, not really because our prayer life has changed, just our schedule has. But eventually, anybody know this, that a schedule runs out? Anybody know that you have to, you know, that's why there's New Year's resolutions, man, the things you committed to, the things that you uh, the things that you entered into, sometimes those things need refreshing. Sometimes we go, man, I'm going to get up early, and for six weeks, 6 a.m., we're up, and then it breaks one time, and, uh, and it's over, right? And we have, to, we have to get ourselves all pumped up to do it again. I'm just telling you the story of my life, so, um, and it seems like many of you agree. Well, I, I think that the Lord has, uh, well, I know that the Lord's desire is not for uh, our prayer life uh, to be this way. I know the Lord's desire is not for our prayer life to constantly be something that we're frustrated with. Our, our prayer life is designed, according to the Scriptures, is designed to be the greatest place of intimacy that we have with God. It's the place where we commune with our Father. It's the place where He speaks to us. It's the place that we know His heart, and it's uh, the place where His power and His authority are released uh, on the earth around us. This is not to be a thing um, that is constantly uh, a place of frustration for us. This should be the greatest place of our spiritual life. So I think we're missing something when we have to keep coming back to prayer and asking, God, how do we make it deeper? How do we make it better? How, you know, I, I think that we've missed the solution. Um, and so I want to just try to journey through some of the solution today. Is that all right with you that we maybe figure out the solution to this conundrum of a ever shallowing prayer life? Because I don't think it's the I don't think it's the design uh, of the kingdom. And funny enough, the answer uh, I'll tell you the answer before we even get started. The answer is the Holy Spirit. That's 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 the person that we never factor into the equation of prayer is the Holy Spirit. But if we read the scriptures rightly, we cannot pray absent the Holy Spirit. We certainly can't pray according to the will of God to know his heart and his intention and his character in prayer without the Holy Spirit. So the answer to our prayer difficulties is the Holy Spirit. And I want to lay out today just how that actually works. Are you guys all right with that? So that's what we're going to do today. But I want to give you just a moment as we always do and just prepare uh, to hear the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you just, man, if you just came to listen to me, you'll be bored and only listen to a third of what I say, right, Kelsey? Um, uh, but man, if this is Spirit of God that you're listening to, then uh, you may only listen for just a few moments. That's all He needs is just just a window. Um, and uh, if, if you'll let Him speak to you, you can be transformed. If you'll let Him speak to you, you can leave here completely different than you walked in. You can leave here looking more like Christ. You can leave here knowing Him in a greater and deeper way. Maybe for some of you, the first, for the first time, knowing even what He sounds like. And He is good. His promise to us is for truth. And He, and he promises to only speak that which is of Father. Anybody in here trust God? All right, so then we can welcome the Holy Spirit and trust what He wants to do. So let's just welcome Him. Just take a minute to pause and, and focus your heart, focus your attention uh, on Him.
Well, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here and we just ask for you to speak to us. We ask for you to just uh, to be in our midst this morning as we know that you are. And we ask for you to do what only you can do. God, only you know the hurt that is in this room. God, only you know the questions that are being asked of you. God, only you know our past and only you know our future. And so why would we endeavor to listen to anyone but you? Why would we seek to be changed by anyone but you? We know that you are good. You can be nothing but good. So we trust your goodness in here this morning. We trust your word. We trust your voice and ask that you would speak into the deepest places of our hearts. God, speak to the places we don't even know that need to be spoken into. We just make that available to you this morning and just tell you that you have all of us. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to say to us this morning, we welcome you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we just said that, uh, and I, just a show of hands, how many of you normally come to the, and, and this is a show of hands, we will participate, how many of you uh, normally come to the conclusion that a lack of praying comes from a lack uh, of discipline or a lack of understanding? Anybody? Ever come to that conclusion? That my lack of praying comes to, uh, it, it, we ultimately solve the problem because either I lack discipline or I lack understanding. Meaning, I don't, uh, I don't have the structure for prayer or I don't understand how to pray or why to pray. And based on one of those two things, uh, I'm not praying the, re- the way that I should pray. Well, does that sound, now that we say it out loud, does it sound a little funny? That our prayer life is tied to our lack of discipline or our lack of understanding. In what other way is that true in the kingdom? That the supernatural things of God are dependent upon our performance, are dependent upon our ability. That's not true anywhere else in, uh, in the kingdom, but we always make that assumption in prayer. And we know this is true, that uh, according to John chapter 15, that the greatest work of the Christian happens when we abide. That our greatest work occurs when we rest, when we cease from striving, when we cease from doing. That's when uh, we truly abide and allow the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us to move through us to accomplish what God wants to do. Why is it any different? Why have we made a different assumption about prayer than we have everything else? See, what we're going to look at today is I believe that the same abiding The same ceasing from our own work is what's necessary for a deep and meaningful prayer life. I'd even tell you that uh, if, if today you leave here and somehow believe that your greater discipline and greater understanding of prayer uh, will propel your prayer life, I would tell you you're going to be right back in here frustrated in a few weeks. It, it, it won't not just only not work uh, for a month. It will never work. You will not ever understand prayer in a great enough way to have an intimate prayer life with God. You're never going to be disciplined enough, though discipline is important, and I'm not belittling understanding, and I'm not belittling discipline. Those things are necessary, but neither of those things will propel you into a greater measure of your prayer life. The only way that we will pray in a deeper and more meaningful way is if we quit trying is if we cease from striving and allow God to do what He said He was going to do, right? 
See, Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father do. You've heard me say that a thousand times. Uh, it, is, it is the cornerstone on which uh, I, have, I have built my understanding of the Christian life, that we do as we see and hear the Father do, and it is His power, 1 Thessalonians 5.24, faithful is He who called you who will also do it. So we see him do what he wants to do, and then we let him do what he wants to do in us. We are simply the conduit through which the Holy Spirit works and flows. And why have we believed that it's any different when we pray? You cannot, you cannot create a life of prayer which is dependent on your ability to pray. All right? Look at Job chapter 38. We're going to look at, uh, at Job for a bit, and then we're going to move uh, into New Testament being Ephesians for a little bit. Not a lot of page turn in, so I'll give you a second. You guys are still on spring break mode. Job chapter 38. You've probably heard this before, but Job has been through uh, an astronomical amount of trauma, right? He has lost everything. He's lost everything, and he's drawn the criticism um, of, his, of his friends, He's in a, in a very dark place, you could say, and, and this is the response that the Lord gives Job. And I think it's interesting here, and it's going to be really the foundation point for where we build our argument here on, on prayer, but uh, let's just start in verse 1. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? The Lord ever said that to you? I can tell you He said that to me so many times. Times. Who is this that brings me counsel without knowledge? Who are you to bring to me your thoughts and your ways? You need to sit in front of me and listen. And this is what the Lord says. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. So Job is having a very serious moment with the Lord. The Lord's saying, all right, you want to come to me with your, all of what you understand to be true? Why don't you sit here and I'm going to ask you a few questions, right? This is what I do to Shiloh. I'm going to ask you a few questions. Why don't you sit down and look me in the eye, right? Those are good dad moments. In verse 4, he begins the questioning and he continues it in this fashion. He says, where were you? When I laid the foundation of the earth. So Job is in trouble pretty much from this point, right? <laughs> Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Now, this line of questioning goes on for four chapters. For four chapters, the Lord sits in front of Job and says, who are you when? Where were you when I did this, when I did this, when I said this and this occurred? Who were you and where were you? 38, 39, 40, 41, and finally in 42, Job responds. And I want you to see how Job responds. Can you imagine four chapters? It's a lot of questions. You ought to go back and read them. God makes an extensive case. But why does he do it? And, and we see the, the, the end of God's questioning here in verse 42. Look at verse 2. Jo or, sorry, let's start in verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, so this is Job's response to these four chapters of questioning. In verse 2 he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. 
So God asks him, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I was God and you were man, right? This is the essence of the conversation. Where were you when, right? And then he lays out things that only God can do. And what is the, what is the end of this argument? Job comes to this conclusion. He says, I know that you can do all things. See, what had shifted in Job's mind is that Job had in some way, in some measure, he had, he had lost sight of the, uh, the dynamic between God being God and Job being creation, right? The scriptures open with this passage, in the beginning, God. And then the very next word is in the beginning, God created, right? We know fundamentally there, there are two things that exist. There is God who is creator and there is everything else which is not God is creation. There is none but God alone. He is the only one who has this claim, I am God. That's what he tells Moses. Moses says, well, who am I going to tell them that you are? And he says, I am that I am. I have no need for any uh, description. I am the self-existing one. I exist outside of time. Imagine that, that, that God created the time in which we exist in, in which we measure everything. God created it and exists outside of it. He was always before and will always be. Do you feel small yet? You see, that's what he wanted Job to know. That's where he had to put Job. He had to remind Job that he is God. Most of our difficulty in our Christian life comes when those two things begin to be skewed. When we in some way believe that we are more, uh, more like God and less like creation, and he is more like creation and less like God, when those things start to get out of whack, right, we begin to find sin. What did Lucifer say? I will be like the Most High. And this is where sin was birthed when he decided that he could somehow be like God. This is the origin of all of our issues. And I believe that it is the origin of our issue in prayer. Because if God is not God, if somehow we have taken quality away from him, if we have brought him lower than he is and we have elevated ourselves to a platform above where we belong, then we will ascribe to ourselves duty and opportunity that is only for God. We will take on responsibility that is only His responsibility. We will begin to act and function in our own lives and in the lives of those around us as if we are God and He is not. And the other thing that will shift is that we will begin to speak to Him as if He is not God. We will begin to associate with Him as if He is like us and He is not like us. Right? So the very first thing that has to shift in our prayer life is to recognize Exactly what Job says. If you can't make this statement, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That, is, that right there is the beginning of your prayer life. Because what does that do? That creates absolute dependence on God. You with me? You understand this? If that's not the beginning of your prayer life, if you say, I believe you can do most things, then your prayer life will be hindered from the beginning. If you believe that somehow God is not going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, then your prayer life will be skewed from the beginning. And you'll begin to pray as if you have to convince God to do what he said he was going to do instead of praying so that you know what God wants to do and getting in line with it. You with me? You with me? You guys good? 
So that's the foundation stone of our, of our prayer life. It has to shift. We have to accurately know that He is God and He can do all things and that no purpose of His will be thwarted. Our failure in prayer is held in our inadequate view of Him as capable. Right? This is uh, one of my favorite authors. Also, well, I think he is my favorite author. Uh, his name is Andrew Murray, South African pastor in the 1800s. He said this, Failure in prayer is the result of a spirit that is not yielded to the Spirit of God. You see that? That yielding is necessary. He says, in this sense, prayer is a gauge that measures the work of the Spirit in us. To pray aright, the life of the Spirit must be active in us. For praying the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, everything depends on being full of the Spirit. You see how that works? If there is not a recognition that we must be completely dependent upon God, then we will not depend on the Spirit in us who has given us that we might pray in alignment with the will of God. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But you have to begin, you have to begin with the fact that you are not capable to pray. Is that a strange thought? It is not in you to pray. How would you know? Where were you when the foundations of the earth were laid? How would you know what to pray? But that the only, even you can't, just imagine this, you don't even know yourself well enough to pray for you. How much do you trust yourself to pray for what you need? Ever tried that before? Ever tried to go after what you think you need and then you end up at the end of it gaining it and going, ah, it's not what I needed? Anyone ever done that? Hello, anybody human? Just checking, all right? We are not even capable enough to meet our own needs, much less pray into things which are eternal, which we need. So the very first thing we have to understand is that we have to depend, not partially, but fully on God to pray. And if that's true, then what tool has He given us in order for us to pray? His Spirit, right? And this is where this Holy Spirit conversation uh, comes into line, and we're going to see the work of the Spirit in prayer. You know, you understand. You good? Just want to make sure. We miss that point. Nothing else makes sense. God is God and He is the only one that is able to do what He said He was going to do. Okay? Ephesians chapter 1. You sure you're good? I'll re-preach it. <laughs> Melina, you good? Alright. Ephesians chapter 1. All right, so if you need the Holy Spirit to pray, we better be sure we have the Holy Spirit or we're in trouble. So let's just uh, look at that. Just uh, let's start in verse 11. Did I tell you what chapter? Chapter 1 of Ephesians. Start in verse 11. Okay. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Love that, right? To, uh, he works all things according to the counsel of His will. So that we uh, who were the first, hope, uh, first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Okay, So He's building a case. This is what you have. This is the richness of what you have in Christ. Now listen to verse 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now here's the way we typically, and I say we believe this because what we believe is actually shown in our actions, not in what we, not in what we say, but what we normally believe about the Holy Spirit is something maybe like this. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, uh, felt a tingly feeling and knew that you had the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, had an emotional rise or uh, had an out-of-body experience, I don't know, whatever, fill in the blank, some way of thinking or feeling, that's when we knew we had the Holy Spirit. How do you know if you have the Holy Spirit? What did he just say? Did he say anything about thinking or feeling? Did he say, you'll know by what you feel? No, he said this. And and read it with me. Make sure we know the truth. When you heard the word of truth, how many of you know that? That none of you were saved absent hearing the truth of God. You didn't just wake up one morning and go, well, I think I I need to understand the truth. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to find it. No. God spoke truth to you. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, okay, so you heard and it says, and believed in Him. Anything else? Anything else we need to add here or you feel like the Bible speaks pretty clearly? That seems pretty simple, doesn't it? How do you know if you have the Holy Spirit? Have you heard the truth and believed in Jesus? This is not intellectual. This is not, I've heard the truth and I intellectually agree with it and I believe that Jesus was a historical figure who died on the cross. Even a right uh, historical intellectual perspective is not salvation. Even to, to agree intellectually and say Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind is not salvation. It's, this word says believe. You heard and then believe in Him. At that moment... At that moment, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So you should know right now, every one of you in this room ought to know whether you got the Holy Spirit or not. Pause for just a moment. Take inventory. This is a huge understanding. Do you or do you not have the Holy Spirit in you? We act like this is a guessing game. It's not. It's meant to be foundation. Because all of the Christian life is built on this truth. Whether or not we have the gift that Jesus died to give us, you better know. Paul asks it very directly. He goes uh, to these men, and I believe it's Acts chapter 19, and he asks them, do you have the Holy Spirit? Apparently it was something you could know, right? We don't act like that, do we? We, most of the time, go, I don't know, I think I do. And I think it's because I hear his voice. I think it's because, you know, this, this, this. We draw circumstances and intellectual understanding. Here's how you know. Right here. Did you hear the word of truth and are you saved? Did you believe in him? If that's true, you have the Holy Spirit. To what measure you've given yourself to his work, that I do not know. But the answer to whether or not he is in you is right there. Have I paused long enough for you to know? All right. I was just talking long enough for you to know. 
You ought to know the answer to the question based on that right there. And he says, uh, we, uh, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Listen, he is the guarantee of our inheritance. This is how you know that all of what God promised to you is going to be given both now and in the future is if you have the Holy Spirit. Anybody, anybody seeing the importance of knowing whether or not the Holy Spirit is in you? It's quite important, isn't it? Good thing is he didn't leave it up to question. This is how you know. If you're in here and you go, man, I know that I don't have the Holy Spirit and it's because I've never believed in Jesus, then believe in Him. It's that simple. Right, Corey? Believe in Him today. It is, it is that simple. Recognize that He is the way and the truth and the life and you do not come to the Father but by Him and you must, you must, whether now or in the future, you will bow your knee to Jesus and I pray that it is, that it is now that you recognize that He is is who he says he is. He is the Son of God, and he is the only way to cleanse you of your sin and to make you right with the Father. He is the only one that can restore you to friendship with God, to sonship with God, because now you stand as an enemy and a subject of his wrath. Repent and believe, and you'll have life. So, everybody should be good. We can move on now that you know, right? Romans chapter 8. It always feels like when you say you move on, you should go to the next page, and we're going the other way. So go, go back to your left in Romans. You guys are quiet. Are you all right? Do we need a stretch break? Okay, we're good. Kelsey's still in. Everybody else should be too, right? <laughs> Kelsey, I won't do that anymore. I'm sorry. All right, Romans chapter 8. Okay, so here we go. So now we know whether we have the Spirit or not. We know we need the Spirit to pray, and let's listen to how he does it. Verse 26 of chapter 8 in Romans. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What have we just said? How many of us are weak? All of you. Everybody raise, again, how many of you are human? Okay, so we're all weak in our ability to do what God has asked us to do. That recognition of your weakness is actually your greatest strength in the kingdom. You with me? Your greatest power is to realize that in and of yourself, you can do nothing, not even pray. Normally, weakness is a, is a vulnerability, right? It's a scary thing, right? Not in the kingdom. Your weakness and your understanding that you can do nothing is your greatest strength because in that you will rely on the one who can. Now watch what the Spirit does. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Right? We just said that. You don't even know how to pray for yourself. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Listen to what He does. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to what? The will of God. Anybody want to pray according to the will of God? How many of you pray according to the will of fill in the blank of your name? Right? Anybody want to shift that? That's where the, that's where the shift in prayer comes. When we know that we cannot pray rightly, we have to depend on some other entity, some other power to pray. That power is the spirit which is in us. And it says the Spirit searches hearts, right? It says because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will 
of God. If you will depend on the Spirit to pray, you will pray according to the will of God. This is easy stuff, right? I mean, this is an easy equation. If you will rely on the Spirit to pray, you will pray according to the will of God. So if you were honest in here and you said, and I said, who wants to pray according to the will of God? And you all got a little bit excited. Then, then the answer is, then depend on the Spirit for prayer. Then immediately realize your inability to do it and depend on Him to pray for you. And begin your prayer by even acknowledging to the Spirit, I cannot pray today. I'm waking up and I want to pray right now. I'm in this moment uh, uh, with this individual I'm ministering to and I want to know how to pray, but I recognize that I cannot pray. You must pray for me. And immediately at the consent of us, the Spirit says, okay, and begins to pray with groanings too deep for words according to the will of God. We've made, we have made prayer just about yammering that's a Texas word. All the Texans are like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the only amen I ever get is when I say text. <laughs> you guys are funny. Right? We've made prayer about how much we can come up with in our speech. Can I pray rightly? Do I start it the right way? Do I tag it with in Jesus' name? That's a pet peeve. I won't start there. But do we do, we, do, we do that? Do we even know what that means? But most of the time we... We're just lots of talking. And according to, this, according to this text, there's very little words that are necessary in order to pray. The words which are needed to pray come from the Spirit and not from you. I'm not saying you have to just sit completely silent, right? As if you're not an active participant. You are active participant, but your active participation is depending on the Spirit of God to bring words to your mouth to pray. And if he brings no words to your mouth, why are you talking? Let him do the work that he promised that he was going to do. See, we get nervous in that moment. We sit before the Lord and we get quiet and it's quiet. And we may start well. We may start by depending on the Spirit to pray. But after two or three minutes, he's quiet. Or we believe he's well, well, I must need to come up with something, right? Anybody ever done that? You waited in the quiet too long and it's like, well, God, I guess I'll talk because you're not saying much, right? I'm being silly, but... but I'm just, this is what missed my life, right? I'm just opening the window into, into our home sometimes, and we believe we have to come up with, with words that will satisfy God, and I think many times he's just saying, if you will just stop, the Spirit is already searching my heart to know my will. And if you'll just pray when he leads you to speak, then we'll be good. Otherwise, just listen. Just sit with me and listen to what I want to do. See, this hit me, uh, several years ago. It, uh, God does this sometimes. He teaches me something and I'm a slow learner. It takes me a while. It takes me a few years for it to actually translate into my life. But I learned this in Daniel chapter 8, 9, and 10. And Daniel's a man of prayer. You want to study prayer? Study Daniel. Daniel's this man of prayer. And I realize that Daniel never prays according to his will. Daniel, Daniel never gets in front of God in order to tell God what he wants God to do. The purpose in which Daniel prays is so that Daniel knows what God wants to do. Isn't that a different thing? Most of the time when we pray, we're telling God what we want him to do in this situation. And he's saying, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? 
Instead, what if prayer shifted and we said, Spirit, I know that you know the heart, will, and intent of God. I'm going to depend on you to pray, and I'm going to spend all of my time listening because I know as you pray, I'm going to know the heart, will, and intent of God, and that's where I want to line myself up. God, what do you want to do? I'm listening. Right? We, we waste a great deal of time talking. And I think the essence and the power of prayer is for us to realize that prayer is meant for us to get before God, have the Spirit search His heart, speak to us, that we might know the will and intent of the Father. What did Jesus say after He said, I, I can do nothing of myself but that which I see my Father do? What did He say in verse 20? He said, the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He is doing. Right? Again, this is a building block of prayer. We get nervous because somewhere deep down we don't really believe God wants to tell us what he wants to tell us. We start talking because we don't really believe that God's going to speak. So we fill the time with talking, call it prayer, and we leave knowing more about what we want to do than what God wants to do. But what if we trusted that statement that God, because I'm his son, because I'm his daughter, because I'm filled with the spirit, that God will speak to me. And he will show me all things that he is doing. And because of that, I'm going to trust the Spirit to pray. And I'm going to be quiet. And I'm going to let him speak to me what he wants me to know and to do. Wouldn't that be a dramatic shift? I'm telling you, that would be a dramatic shift in my prayer life. I'm learning this. I'm going, that is different than what I do. Anybody else? It's very different than what I do. Than to, to stop and go, okay, Holy Spirit, I know that you know the heart of God. I want you to pray. And I trust you that I will know what I need to know when I need to know it because you love me. If you don't know that he loves you, you're not going to work right in prayer. Because you'll always be believing that you're not performing well enough for him to actually show you all he wants to show you. That's why the heart of uh, prayer can't be held in your performance. Because if you don't do the right jig, God's not going to tell you what to do. Right? He speaks to us because he loves us. And he loves us not because you performed, but because he sees his son. The essence of his love for us is held in the action of Jesus dying on the cross. You can't change that. The expression of God's love for you has already occurred and you can't erase it. So no matter how much you want to say he doesn't love me, you can't change the fact that he does. So you may as well quit belly aching and just realize that he loves you. And begin to align yourself in that when you pray, right? You okay with that? All right, we'll move on. So prayer is the natural result then of us yielding to the Spirit. If we're going to yield to the Spirit, and one of the main functions of the Spirit is to pray, then we will be people of prayer if we yield to the Spirit. Isn't it funny how most all of this always comes down to walk in the Spirit, live by the Spirit, Anybody astounded by that fact? Isn't it so simple? We've made it so difficult. Live in the Spirit. You'll pray rightly. If you depend on the Spirit, you will pray. And you will not just pray. You'll pray according to the will of God. And this yielding is done in faith. This is not feeling or intellect. Remember the exercise we just did about knowing whether or not you have the Spirit? Right? How many of you felt anything? It's okay if you didn't. It's a fact. If this has occurred, you have the Spirit, right? If you yield to the Spirit, He is praying on your behalf. There's no sensationalism needed. Trust by faith that God is doing what He said He was going to do. 
You with me? You don't have to jump through any hoops. He is faithful. Faith, according to Hebrews chapter 11, faith is what gives us the ability. Um, it allows us to live uh, in the reality of the truth of the kingdom of heaven while present on the earth. That's what faith allows you to do. Faith allows kingdom things to be tangible on the earth. That's what faith gains you, right? The assurance of things hoped for, right? It's not a guess. Faith is not whimsical. It's what connects us to the kingdom of heaven, allows us to live in that reality while present on the earth. You okay with that? That's faith. Quit making it wishing and hoping. It's not. It's the assurance of things hoped for. Now go to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read there for just a second. So this uh, relationship of yielding to the Spirit for prayer is done in faith. You've got to trust that God is doing what He said He was going to do. I want you to see how Abraham did this. Hebrews chapter 11 Start in verse 8, 8, 8th. We're going to talk about faith, so we're going to go to verse (laughs) 8th. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. As he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So what did Abraham do? Did he live according to what he had on the earth? No. He lived according to what was promised by God. You see, that's faith. Faith allows us to operate in the kingdom while present on the earth. Abraham went because of the promise, not because of the reality that was in front of him. You see that? By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs according, uh, or heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So, God said, I'm going to do this great work in you. I'm going to give you land and an inheritance. And faith said that Abraham believed God and walked in what God said as if it were true, though it were not present in front of him. Faith allowed him to live according to a different reality. You with me? It's getting hot in here. You guys okay? All right, check back in. We got two minutes. When my dad was teaching Sunday school, I was a kid, he would say, two-minute warning. He's a sports fan, but he would say, two-minute warning. That meant you better lock in. This is the most important two minutes of the game. All right? Faith allowed Abraham to live according to that promise. So what does that look like for us? To pray according to faith is simply to pray and believe that it's the Spirit of God that's praying on my behalf. The reality of the kingdom of heaven says that if I depend on the Spirit, He will pray. There's no other bells and whistles that need to be attached. Are you with me? Quit attaching all these, uh, all these uh, different items to this truth. Faith says that you can pray by depending on the Spirit. And as you depend on the Spirit, you will pray according to the will of God. So what do we do? And I'm going to close with this. So what do we do? Hebrews chapter 4 says, draw near to the throne of grace. Grace is what makes a life of faith possible. Grace is what keeps you with the ability to operate in faith according uh, to the promises of God and quit depending upon yourself to pray. If you want to see a change in your prayer life, and I'm telling you, I'm seeing a change in my prayer life. I'm not seeing a change 
uh, in the things that I would have changed in order to gain a prayer life, right? I've, I've decided, all right, I've tried that so many times, I'm going to quit trying that, and I'm going to depend on the Spirit to pray. And I'm seeing a massive change in my prayer life. And it's not happening with feeling or emotion or intellect. It's happening in the Spirit. It's happening as I commune with God on a daily basis by trusting His Spirit to pray rightly in me and believing and knowing that I can see and hear my Father because He loves me. Isn't that simple? So I just would encourage you to draw near to that throne of grace. Know that, you, that your ability to draw near to God has been purchased by the blood of the Lamb and rely on the Spirit to pray. And know that when the Spirit prays, He prays exactly in tune with the heart of God. Isn't that cool? So God, I just pray that you would release a move of prayer in this room. Pray for there would be complete dependence on your Spirit to pray. That we would know it's not about how loud we pray or how we move around or how early we get up in the morning or what we know or what we feel but that praying is about dependence on your spirit. For you are God and we are not and we depend fully on you for all things and that includes prayer. So I just, in myself now, just release to you my desire to make myself a better prayer person and just trust you to do it on my behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.
You're dismissed, not released. Come back next.